this year, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. Pair your impressive skills with our advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop, powered by an Intel Core i9 processor featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Your dream setup, amazing prices, and free shipping await you for a limited time only at Alienware.com deals. That's Alienware.com deals. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now, coming at you again remotely here on a kind of sunny day in New York. We're holding up. We hope you are holding up, too, and staying safe. I have with me today Rob Sheffield, Brittany Spanos, and Andy Green. And we're going to be talking about concerts in a time when there are no concerts. We're going to be talking about some of our favorite concerts of all time and maybe a little bit about this situation with concerts, which we touched on in a previous episode. We're also going to be playing picks from Brendan Benson and from Brian Fallon for their favorite concerts they've ever seen. But hey, all, how are you? How are you holding up? Good. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely wonderful. Very, very good. I thought we'd start by talking about the fact that there aren't going to be concerts for a while the industry has scheduled shows for September. If you ask the concert industry, they're kind of like, yeah, we're starting up in September. Coachella is supposed to happen in October. Now, Ethan Millman and other people on our team have done reporting in it. It's backing up this idea that medical experts are saying, basically, there's no way. It's not going to happen. Basically, because mass gatherings, which is what concerts are, are going to be the very last things that come back. So even under a very optimistic timeline where people are are able to get back to work because of increased testing and tracing and who knows what else, that doesn't mean you can just bring back concerts because even one person at a big concert could be a big problem based on what we know about the science. It could be, uh, as Andy was saying before we started, these are super spreader events. We've been told as much by doctors. And so, you know, basically you could have a dormant pandemic restart by one person at a concert. (laughs) So it's it's like literally. So there are many pitfalls in that. I I mean, what do you all make of this September thing, which one executive told us is they literally kind of like guess. They don't really know. They they had no real information on September. It's just very optimistic. I think their thought process is the summer is too soon, but so many concerts are going to be outdoors and it's too cold by October. So September is just this magic month that they have just steamed up. Now, dates as late as fall 2021 have been thrown around by medical experts. And even the most optimistic are talking really about summer 2021. And that's a prognosis that I think the industry has not yet adjusted to. I don't think fans have really adjusted to. Rob, if you can't see a concert until fall 2021, what do you make of that? How do you feel about that? I'm going to get so into the dead tours. This is, <laughs> this is a fantastic time to be a deadhead or become a temporary deadhead. But the search for substitute live shows is uh, is just kind of a, a pandemic in itself at this point. There's nothing really to replace that in the uh, emotional and cultural life of the people. Brittany, how do you feel about it personally? I mean, I plan my entire year around going to every date on the Harry Styles tour. And so 
I'm very sad. But yeah, I think like next year, it's going to be really weird also with everything being rescheduled and it's going to be such a mess of like every single concert that was meant to happen this year. And like with whatever albums do end up being released this year and then those tours are going to happen next year. I mean, it's going to be kind of interesting to see like how that all pans out, but it's going to be such a mess. Yeah, and the timing is just so lousy. I've been waiting forever for a big Pearl Jam tour, for a big E Street Band tour, to see Neil Young and Crazy Horse, to see Rage Against the Machine. All these things I've been waiting for. I even heard that they bumped a big tour they had booked that was like Eddie Murphy was going to be playing arenas again, and that mm-hmm. got cool. There's all these things that have been years or even decades in the making are all gone. And the next year, it'll be twice the number of concerts, but with everybody, you know, who's broke and will have no money to buy tickets. So many bands, especially like in the process, have been kind of like semi reuniting over Zoom and on Instagram. And and it's like, there's been such a wave of that. So I'm really curious too, like, are we going to get like a bunch more next year? And then it's it's just going to be such like a logistical nightmare and mess for yeah, everything. And too. just booking arenas will be difficult because all the sports seasons are going to come back at some point and there'll be no open dates to even play these shows. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how it's going to work. I think another aspect of it, and I think we're going to be writing about this for the next issue of Rolling Stone, is this issue of older acts some of whom might have been thinking this year was their final year touring, you know, and I, this is something we touched on before. When I asked uh, Roger Waters about this, he, you know, he said that he was himself hesitant to postpone his tour to 2021, which is what he did because he knew how old he'd be. And he was already feeling, you know, that he's getting a little old for this. And so it's, it's a little scary when you contemplate how many of the biggest touring artists are in their 70s and how many might, when faced with the idea of touring a year after they maybe expected to, might just say, screw it. Or, understandably, might be the last people to go on the road because it's not going to be enough that, you know, there's effective treatments, et cetera, et cetera. If I'm a artist who's 76 years old, I'm going to wait till there's a vaccine. I don't know what you guys think. Yeah, and some of these guys are, are going to be 80 years old soon. Like Charlie Watts of the Stones or Bob Dylan is going to be 80 in a year or two. So it's just very alarming. Yeah, it's, it's certainly a time where you're going to be grateful for every show you have seen. I've, I've thought a lot about that, you know, especially if people who are getting up in years. It's a time to think about that. I also saw someone make a good point. It's like everyone who's like, oh my God, when are you ever going to watch all those annoying videos you made of, of the concerts you were at? And it's like, oh my God, it's time. <laughs> it's here. The, <laughs> that asshole with the iPad blocking your view was actually knew something was coming. It, it's <laughs> I owe so many apologies. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? There'll be another concert next week. No, they knew. They yeah. <laughs> but... Rob, I know you're working on a piece. Have you thought about psychologically what concerts, not to make it sound like a pathology, but <laughs> have you thought about what concerts do for you? Like what makes them so important to you personally? Me personally, it's, you know, well, as Brittany said, it's it's how I measure my life. It's how I think about August is what shows I'm going to be going to in August. When I think about September, I think about the shows I'm going to in September. And because at this point, there's so much that we don't know. You know, we can kick abstract numbers, uh, 2021 or September or April. We could toss any of these numbers, but we just don't know. Also, we just don't know how many of these touring acts, touring careers, musicians' careers having been put on pause, even if it were all miraculously cured and ready to 
go back to business as usual tomorrow. Just the momentum that's been just stopped dead in its tracks is just such a huge loss in itself. It really is. And there's never really been anything like this. You know, it's not like there were a lot of big tours in 1918 that were paused, although I'm sure there were some, you know, there must have been something. I'm sure there were some major uh, orchestral debuts that people were really bummed about. But this is unprecedented. And it, it's it's pretty hard to wrap your mind around it. I think, I think a, a sign of how hard it is to wrap your mind around is that you have huge corporations engaging in magical thinking. You have people saying that oh, maybe we'll do temperature checks at the door when, you know, even a, a moment's thought reveals that wouldn't work because of asymptomatic spreaders. And, you yeah. know, it's, it's even Disney is talking about that for Disney World. And it's like, it's like, did you think about this for two seconds? It's, it's incredible. Yeah. I keep thinking about how it's so unprecedented and that following 9-11, as awful as that was, we were able to come together at the concert at the Garden where the Who played and McCartney, they were moments in which we can be unified in the face of such adversity and you can't do that now and that's part of what's so hard about this and i do want to move on pretty soon to some of our memories and moments at the best concerts we ever seen but there have been all these kind of live streamed and home concerts and there have been some memorable moments i i really love the neil young they're called fireside sessions right yes those have been really incredible and really moving and i must say daryl hannah her visual work on them is quite excellent. She has a gift. There's something really intimate and powerful. What other sort of home things or live stream things have, have you all watched in this time that meant something to you? Watched a Lil John DJ set on Instagram, and that was very enjoyable. Was there a fire? Very was earnestly. It also, was, it a, was it a fireside DJ set? I wish. <laughs> <laughs> it's not quite a live performance, but the RZA DJ premiere battle was yeah. just so awesome. It was so phenomenal, and it was a ser- it was part of obviously a series of of the of these battles, mostly from hip hop and R and B. But the way that they were casually reminiscing about recording with Notorious B.I.G. or whatever, uh, and the mutual respect was really really cool, and it had a, a tremendous intimacy. And it should probably I think they're talking about making it a TV show, which they probably could. So that I mean, there has been those moments of, of creativity. But again, the Neil Young thing, incredible, Andy, right? Yeah, it's been amazing. I've been so pleased by his set list. It's all rare songs. And then a final one, he already won off of Comes a Time as the the sun was setting. And you saw him outside in just silhouette. And it was just chilling, Rob, right? I mean, didn't you love that, Rob? Absolutely. It was beautiful. And also that he's doing these songs that, you know, even Andy hasn't heard him sing some of these songs live. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> that he went on the beach. <laughs> yes. Um, but also just, you know, the sort of the domestic intimacy of it, the way he'll just sit down at the piano in the cabin to play See the Sun About to Rain, or he'll be like, oh, I'm going to go out in the snow and, and play a Rosie and the Original song, you know? Uh, <laughs> or you know, down to the pond with the dog, you know? Like that sort of intimacy, it's very different from a live performance and very different from a live show. But it's it's a tiny, it's a crumb to feed us in the hunger. I want to see Little John and Neil Young get together for a live broadcast. <laughs> Crunk <I'm>, never sleeps. <laughs> there is something... Um... <laughs> There is this um, kind of weird and sort of comforting communal aspect to a lot of it too, which is like Premier versus Rizzo is such a great example of like everyone was talking about it and it was so funny to get like a bunch of texts from various people that were like, are you watching this right now? Do you see this? And like even during the 
Diplo IG live sets that I've talked about before. Um, I've like uh-huh. seen like friends, like will like comment each other in the comments on the Instagram live feed. Like I saw like our photo editor, Maria Wirtz, like we were just like commenting to each other in that, like that's, it's like super silly and fun. And like that, it kind of feels like when you're going to a concert and you run into someone and, you know, are just like, I don't know, it's like a weird imitation of it. It's not the same, but it's still kind of like a comforting way of being like, oh, this can kind of exist in a virtual way as well. Yeah, there seems to be a hunger for a communal experience. And I think someone pointed out that more people watched like this Andrea Bocelli live stream than watched Beyonce at Coachella on live stream. Because <laughs> it's just that that's how like how much new hunger there is for live streaming. So that's going to change things a bit. Yeah. Uh, and, and then the other thing that I think we were going to try to write about in upcoming stories, just this issue of, okay, so they say it's safe. How much sort of PTSD are some people going to have where they're a little bit concerned anyway or hesitant to get into a packed, sweaty space after this? I don't know what you all think about that. Yeah, I think people are going to be very hesitant. And if attendance is down 20%, that that's the profit margin, then they'll lose money on the shows. It's going to be, it's going to be really hard to, to get people comfortable to be in mass gatherings until the vaccine is in wide use, which is probably like two years away or something. Well, we did have an idea that there's, so there's all these uh, right-wing people protesting and saying they want all the restrictions lifted. We had a thought that maybe Kid Rock could play a concert now uh, mm-hmm. at a big stadium, and everyone who thinks that the restrictions should be lifted, they can all come. I think he should welcome them all, and they can pack tightly in a mass gathering and, and see what happens if, they're, if they feel that's yeah, about it. they could call it super spread stock or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kid Rock, Ted Nugent, double headline bill. Yeah. <laughs> The Authority. Authority Festival 2020. <laughs> Get in the pit and try to love someone. Now so you're listening to Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm Brian Hyatt. I have Rob Sheffield, Brittany Spanos, and Andy Green with me. We're talking about concerts. We wanted to talk now about some of our favorite concerts, favorite live moments of all time. And I know we have a lot of them. But before we start, I wanted to play Brendan Benson, solo artist and member of the Rock and Tours. He has a new album out called Dear Life. And he was nice enough to share his favorite concert of all time with us. So let's hear what he had to say. Hi, this is Brendan Benson from the Rock and Tours, coming to you from Daytona Beach, Florida, where I am holed up with my family, um, as I'm sure, hopefully, everyone else is. And uh, I was asked to submit uh, my favorite live show. And... There have been so many. I'm fortunate enough to have seen so many great live bands that I don't think I could pick one as the best, but I will pick one as being a favorite. And that would be in the 90s, I believe, mid-90s, St. Andrew's Hall, Detroit, Michigan, Jesus Lizard, and doesn't matter who else played. (laughs) I can't remember. But uh, I don't know. I think I, I first half of the show, I stood there, mouth agape, drooling, probably puddle of drool on the floor in front of my face that was melting. Uh, I just couldn't believe what I saw it was seeing. You know, it was just fantastic. They were such a great live band, so much energy. David Yao was a madman. And I did uh, attempt a stage dive. I was much younger then. I made my way onto the stage, and but before I could dive, uh, David Yao grabbed me from behind and simulated sodomy 
on me, if that makes sense. You know, he sort of pretended to be taking me from behind, shall we say, uh, pantomiming it, of course. <laughs> and then he let me go for, he held me there for a second, let me go while he was singing his song. And I jumped off this, completed my stage dive successfully, but then sort of didn't know how to feel about it. Humiliated or thrilled at being touched even by David Yao at that point in my life. Suffice to say, it was an amazing show, and to this day, I still don't know how to feel about it. So that was Brendan Benson talking about his favorite concert of all time. And I think I'm going to throw it open to the floor here. It is almost impossible. I was trying to think, like, what is the single greatest concert I've ever seen, and it is almost impossible. I think more about moments and some of the incredible little things I've seen. Why don't I start with Britney? What are some of your, your absolute favorite? And if you, if you had to pick your favorite show you've ever seen, could you do it? It's really tough. I mean, I think like when, when you first emailed us about this, like I think the first thing that came to mind were my first two concerts that I ever went to, which were in sync. The Pop Odyssey tour, 2001, wow. and then the Celebrity tour in 2002. And those are, especially the Celebrity tour, my most cherished concert memories. Because I very specifically remember being really close to the stage for the Celebrity tour and Justin Timberlake swinging over my head. <laughs> <laughs> being what the was- most exciting moment of my entire life. <laughs> what was he wearing? <laughs> um, I don't really remember. I yeah. think he, it was, they were doing a lot of like combat boots. I just remember like being so excited that his foot was like over my head. Like I can look up and there was his foot. And I also remember meeting some like very nice older teen girls who were jumping around a lot and then like stopped to make sure I was okay. Cause they were like very excited. And that was a very, I remember that was like very nice moment in the crowd. But yeah, I always think about that. And I always think about my first little Palooza where I saw um, Patti Smith and Pearl Jam. I saw Amy Winehouse, Iggy and the Stooges. I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's like, that's not a concert that's festival, but like, it's no, like that. Does. That experience was very formative for me because that was like the first thing I'd gone to since my double in sync whammy. Yeah, I, that was like a great weekend of like getting to see all these bands that I had become really obsessed with in junior high and then like got to see them at La Plaza and like cry during Patti Smith and like Amy Winehouse showed up an hour late and I saw my first mosh pit during the Stooges. Like it was really cool. That was really cool. But I've been blessed. I've gone to a lot of concerts. Yeah. Um, but I think those early ones are, are really actually important. actually I really like doing your first concerts. So maybe I'll, maybe I'll start with that with with Andy and Rob. Andy, what was what were your first couple concerts? My first concert was the Beach Boys at the Front Row Theater in Cleveland in 1991. <laughs> I was I think in second grade. My dad took me. Uh, it was mind-blowing to me. I was a Beach Boys fan, but to see them sing the songs was very strange to me and very confusing, but just just <laughs> just incredible. <laughs> My second concert was Robert Palmer at the same theater, which I did not really enjoy. I was too young. <laughs> what were you doing there? <laughs> My parents wanted to go. I was dragged to it. I was very confused. There were women that were throwing underwear on stage as he was singing Dr. Doctor. And I just knew it as that song about Dr. Pepper. And it was just so confusing to me. <laughs> but, wow. but my favorite shows, I keep thinking about David Bowie in 
in like 04. I saw two shows on his last tour, uh, and both of them were just these like lightning bolts into my brain. Of just pleasure. just to say, just to say, you're absolutely torturing me here because if you asked about my biggest concert yeah. regret, it's, <laughs> it's somehow never seeing Bowie, despite yeah, okay. meeting him once briefly, but never seeing Bowie. So you're absolutely torturing me. Sorry, I went three times at the end, and the final. On show i was a senior in college i drove to pittsburgh and he was playing at a theater it was crazy i, I was way up front and he played station to station and just that moment was just sheer ecstasy i can't top that and just super quick i think i think beyond that i saw springsteen at the count basie theater do a charity show in 2008 and with no announcement he played darkness on edge of town and wanted to run straight through it was his first time ever like playing albums in concert, and it was insane. Yeah, and I, we're going to dig more into everyone's other moments. But, Rob, how about you? F- first concert and just a, the first of your best experiences that jumped to mind. Well, uh, it was the 80s, which will be abundantly clear when I tell you that it was a triple bill of the police, the fix, and a flock of seagulls. And <laughs> it was so great. It was absolutely transcendent every single minute. It was the Synchronicity Tour. It was sponsored by MTV. So Martha Quinn was the MC, which just meant she came out between bands and says, how's everyone doing? We're like, damn, Martha Quinn, we're awesome. Completely awesome. <laughs> Best day of our lives so far. Or at least mine. It was so incredibly great. And it had, you know, one of the things that, that we all miss so much about this show is that communal feeling, especially like the really big shows. You know, this was a stadium show. You're surrounded by this ocean of total strangers having this this identical transcendent experience. And and there's something really powerful about that. That's something that we all miss right now as much as the actual music. And how about your your favorite? If you had to pick the best show you've ever been to, which is like asking, you know, like it's it's torturous. But could you pick one or two? I, I could pick them all day. Of course, I keep thinking <laughs> about the last one I went to, which is Control Top at Union Pool just a few weeks ago, right before the sky fell in. And uh, it, it was the kind of thing where, you know, if I knew at the time it was the last the last rock and roll show I was going to see for a very last time, I could not have, have treasured it anymore because it was just, you know, fantastic band at, you know, peak punk rock power. And there was this thing that she did, which is kind of mind-blowing in retrospect, but the singer just like, jumped out into the crowd and and started like slamming into people and found the singer from Yahuna, who I was going to see just, you know, a few weeks later and just, you know, wrestled her to the floor and they were they were singing and screaming the, the words together. Just that sort of communal thing. It can happen in a gigantic stadium or in a tiny little dive bar. But it's that sort of rapture is what we go to a show for. Yeah, Rob, you've made a, a point and I'm always kind of impressed by this you see tons of very young bands in small venues all the time. And that seems to be really important to you. Like you, you, and you enjoy that just as much, if not more, as the biggest band in the world at the biggest venue. What is that about for you? Well, it's, you know, it's where the, the best bands are. I and mean, bands are wherever they find a place to, to play and, and scrounge a few people to, to play in front of. And, you know, that spirit can happen anywhere in a gigantic room or a big room. And it's just astounding to see, like, Artists who can create that on a vast scale, you know, like we, we've talked about Springsteen and Bowie, but uh, for a band like Control Top, who are just, you know, three punk rock kids, you know, in Philly, like bumming around in a van, you know, they were on their way to South by Southwest. That's at the time that seemed like 
that was what they were going to be doing a few nights from then. And, uh, you know, that sort of intensity is, is, you know, what you go to a show for. So my first two concerts were so profoundly on brand, as Rob would say, that it's like Rob made them up to make fun of me. <laughs> but my first two concerts, I saw Rush. My first concert was a Rush show. I wasn't even that much of a fan. It was like my friend Jason at the time, like, dragged me to these shows. But my first concert were... Was, so it was Rush at Madison Square Garden. I just looked it up. I believe it was December 11th, 1987, which is weird because I wasn't born for another decade. I don't know how that, that happened. But, <laughs> but some, so, somehow I was there, and uh, <laughs> I was older probably than Andy was at his first show, but I still was like a little confused because if you're not a fan, especially with Rush, it's just like it's overwhelming and confusing but enticing. <laughs> and then my second show was uh, The Who at Giant Stadium. And again, I was like a fan, but I wasn't fanatical. And I, I, what stands in my mind is like these like somewhat like Hesher looking teenage dudes, like absolutely going insane for the, uh, you know, if my fist clenches, crack it open part of time to eyes. <laughs> and like and just like like singing along with all this passion, a passion that was not quite mine yet, but I dreamed of attaining and thus ruined my life in the pursuit of attaining. <laughs> <laughs> in, in, in trying to find the truth of that passion. Um, but we had possibly the worst seats in Giant Stadium. Like, it was like the band was on another planet. Like, it was so horrendously far from the stage that it's just, like, comical to think about. But it was very exciting. So, and, I, you know, it's, I have a lot of trouble as far as, like, the best show I've ever seen. That That's really, really hard. It's, it's like... Some things that, like the first two things that came to mind were weird. It was like, I actually, when I saw the hives at this really small, and I think Bowery Ballroom at their very peak, that was just, it was so incredible that it, it, both them and Franz Ferdinand in these really tiny venues around that time, I felt like, like I felt it was kind of like seeing the Beatles at the Cavern Club. It had that, like these like incredibly catchy songs with all this energy in a tiny place. Like those, those shows really, really blew my mind. Uh, the, the French show was at some, like, illegal venue in Brooklyn, uh, some, like, semi-secret show, and there was, like, literally sweat on the walls, and I'll never forget that. That was incredible. And, I mean, you know, a million, million others. There's also, like, weird moments, like, just, like, it's weird, like, the weird moments where you think about, I think about, there was this band, The Fruit Bats, who I really liked their debut album, and I guess, what's his name from The Shins, liked them too, because he stole their songwriter to become a member of The Shins a couple years later. But, I, I saw the Fruit Bats in Montreal when I was there on a trip in the early 2000s, and I guess they were really not known in Montreal because there were about seven people there. And it was so intimate that they actually, like, at one point turned off the mics and just campfire sung, like, I think a Buddy Holly cover. And there was something so cool about that. Um, so th those are the things. And then there's a, a million other things that, as many as much as the normal shows, there's also wow. just, I think if there's one time that we can sort of acknowledge all the crazy intimate things that we've been privileged to see by virtue of our job. Maybe it's now since no one's seeing anything, so everyone can be equally jealous of each other. But I think of, I don't know, Andy was there. I don't, Rob, I think you might have been there, uh, Brittany, a little bit before your time, but it was it, there was this insane Pete Townsend show at Joe's Pub. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is so insane that my memory can't hold it. Because it's of what happened. So he, he played with all these people. He played with Lou Reed. Yeah. <laughs> Rob, That's were you the there? Uh, no. Pete Townsend and Lou Reed at Joe's Pub? Yes. yes. And with Jay Mascus. Yes. Wow. <laughs> it, it, was, it was so insane and so intimate. And he, he, there were a bunch of other guests, too. And he was, it was, you know, I mean, Joe's Pub, for those who don't know, is this tiny, tiny seated venue uh, in New York City. And 
I, you know, I, I don't know what possessed Pete at the time, but he was doing these intimate shows and he did this intimate surprise show. And it was, it was again, it was so surreal that my memory can't quite hold it as real. But he and Lou Reed were sitting there. They played Waiting for the Man. I think they, 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 yeah, they, they were. They, yeah, they went like White Heat and I am Waiting for the Man together. It was it was just two of them playing guitars. <laughs> it's the only time that they ever played together. Yeah, and we, it was insane. It was an 07. We actually saw that. And then, you know, the... There's other things like we saw uh, that Van Halen show where they played uh, like the at the Cafe Wa at the Cafe Wa, and that yeah. was just another thing that was just so bizarre. It you know probably held what like 150 people. It was something like that, and we were right in front. I had my hands they were on the stage at this tiny, tiny stage that I could barely hold them. I mean that's crazy, Brittany. Is there anything in the course of uh, in, in the course of your work that oh, you've yeah. gotten to witness? Yeah. Well, I mean, because especially my first job was at the Village Voice and my entire beat was concert reviews. Like I was just like hungry to write, but I also was very hungry to go to shows. And there was a lot of just like all of the the acts that I never got to see when I was younger, like never thought I would get to see. Like I remember seeing Paul McCartney at Barclay Center and like I went alone to cover it and I was just like crying the entire time because I never thought I'd get to see Paul McCartney live and like. I remember seeing Bob Seger at Madison Square Garden with my friend and Joe Walsh opened and that was like amazing, such a good show. And I met this like group of middle-aged guys who had been best friends since they were teenagers and they were like crying during night moves. And that was just like the best thing to see. Uh, during, like, they were just having uh, the best time. <laughs> and I was there with one of my best friends who like, we had they become were, friends because of how much we loved yeah. Bob Seger and Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> so uh-huh. we were just like there. I got <laughs> yelled at at a Fleetwood Mac concert because I was dancing too hard during dreams and people were sitting <laughs> and they did not like that I'd gotten up to dance, which is a great memory. And yeah, Cher was, I mean, I, that was, I mean, I, there's like so many people that I just like never thought I'd get to see live. Um, Motley Crue, like, you know, just like all of these bands that I grew up being obsessed with that I just like never thought that I would ever get to see. Rob, what have you seen that you never thought you would see? What are the kind of the moments that stand out like that in your live show going life? So many. I mean, there's just the excitement of getting to go to a show. I mean, I I, I grew up going to um, the all ages hardcore shows on the, the matinees on weekend afternoons. There was this dump at, at, in Boston called The Channel, and, and I got used to seeing bands there. I, I kind of got used to the idea that live music involved getting my ass kicked at the same time. It's usually <laughs> like, side by side. But, you know, to me, like, there's something about, you know, that gigantic live show. It's funny that one of the live memories from recent months that I've just been, you know, chewing over and, and is... is seeing Harry Styles at the LA Forum in December when it was the day that Fine Line came out. Right. And he was doing those songs live for the first time. And just that sort of, you know, it was the kind of thing of like doing the album all the way through and just doing that sort of, that sort of communal vibe was just like absolutely intense. Of course, that's a memory I go to now that's kind of like, you know, Tom Hanks having the volleyball on the desert island. You know, like I've, I've replayed that show in my <laughs> constantly like the past month. But, you know, like the, the artists who are able to do it on a gigantic scale like that. And it's the kind of thing that you dream of, but to see it real is just kind of astounding. It's, Brittany mentioned Paul McCartney. Every Paul McCartney show has an element of that, that there's a sense that there is somebody who is just uh, larger than life who could certainly coast on a legend who's just 
refusing to coast and working so insanely hard to make every moment of the show absolutely absolutely over the top paul used to or maybe still does a thing where he shows a video of himself and it's like a history reminds you he's in the beatles and everything and then the video ends and then he comes on stage and there's something so you're like holy shit he's really there you know i cried really so <laughs> hard during that video i remember that very distinctly i cried very hard during that. It like he's so good i don't know why when he has to take the encore you, you notice that he actually like you know hops off stage and then like runs back on stage. You know, he can't wait to get back out there. He hates to take an encore break. It, it pains him to like to leave the cheering. And, and for somebody who thrives on live music like that, I mean, Springsteen definitely has elements of that. Another memory that I've been going over in my head constantly, Brian, you mentioned Giant Stadium and, and to be very on brand again, but those three <laughs> Springsteen shows from, gosh, like summer of, 2016 when he broke the four hour mark like yeah. nights in a week those shows I, I go over them all the time I'm still mad that he played Santa Claus is coming to town like <laughs> as a request at the second one because some live <laughs> guy had a sign requesting Santa Claus is coming to town and it was kind of thing like he starts doing it and it's in August and everybody's really mad at the guy who had that sign yeah I remember like I just wanted to hear Atlantic City and he hadn't done it in a really long time or at least like on that tour. And he did it the night I went. I was so, I was Yes, so I remember excited. being happy for you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Actually, it's, it, the truth is like, you know, that there probably needed to be a special Springsteen section because I, I, it kind of goes in its in its own category. But in fact, when, when we play Brian Fallon, he's going to say, you know, I, he's like, for the record, this is the greatest non-Springsteen show that I saw because it, it kind of just, but, I, you know, I, Andy and I have seen a large number of Springsteen shows between us, like, so large it should probably literally be illegal and i have to say now that we're in this no concert period i do not regret a single one of them even the one where he put the curtain down halfway at the meadowlands and attempted to play a solo acoustic show to a half arena and there was a sound problem he ended up cursing out half the crowd it was like a it was like probably the worst bruce show i ever saw and even that i do not regret i do not regret any of it i've had absolutely transcendent experiences over and over and over and over again at, at Bruce Springsteen shows. There's something really profound that happens at a lot of shows, I think, I think particularly at his shows. There's something, you know, connecting you to the moment and feeling the moment and feeling the passage of time and the stillness of time that he can create that's beyond words, as you can tell by the inarticulate way I'm trying to express this. But there's also moments like I remember at the Vote for Change tour, it was so satisfying when he came out with R.E.M. and, and sang Man on the Moon. Uh, at one show in, in 2004 in the Vote for Change tour, Eddie Vedder came out and sang a bunch of songs with Bruce. And it's the only time I ever saw someone come close to blowing Bruce off the stage. Yeah, uh, and just, they played Better Man, and there was a Clarence Sax solo on Better Man. It was the coolest thing. Yeah, and Ed like actually out-vocal powered Bruce on Darkness on the Edge of Town, and I'd never seen <laughs> it's It's something you will never uh, see before or since. And you know, I've seen, I saw an amazing LL Cool J live show that was at Westbury Music Fair uh, with the rotating stage. And that was actually one of the most memorable. And then there's, you know, the things that really don't count, but like, uh, you know, the, the sound checks and rehearsals I've gotten to see honestly stick in my mind as much as anything. And I've, you know, we, we've all gotten to see things that again, like should be illegal that, that we even were allowed to see. I mean, you know, like I've watched you two rehearse in a tiny room for, you know, three hours straight where it's just me and the sound guy, you know, and just all kinds of things like that that I'll always treasure. 
Oh, you um, folks must have seen Stevie Wonder live, right? Yes, I saw him at uh, at Bonnaroo, and that was fantastic. That was actually the same day. I think that was the same. It might have been even been the same night. Jay Z and Stevie Wonder at the same Bonnaroo were utterly amazing. The other night when I was falling asleep, and I, I just replayed an entire Stevie Wonder show that I saw in my head in, in 2012, just going through <laughs> it song by song, just like having stored up these memories and now just gnawing them like. Like again, like crusts of bread that are like the the last food in the basement. <laughs> As a great live performer has often said, "Hold on to the memories; they will hold on to you." We have Brian Fallon of the Gaslight Anthem, who has a new solo album out called "Local Honey," and he was nice enough to share his favorite live concert memory. And he had to specify it's his favorite non-Springsteen concert memory. So let's hear that. <laughs> Hey, this is Brian Fallon, and uh, the best concert that I've ever seen, this is, needs to be broken up into two categories for me. One being, it needs to really be answered this way, that the best concert I've seen that Bruce Springsteen was not in attendance. Uh, it's just not fair to everyone else to be compared to the greatest live performer uh, maybe since James Brown. So... What I think the best concert that I've ever seen, well, it would, it would have to be, I saw Florence and the Machine at Glastonbury before, before the, the record had come out and before the EP, before anybody knew the dog days were over. I didn't know uh, what I was watching. And I, I, saw, I saw them go on stage and just sort of start playing. And I don't remember being fixated on a, on a performance like that maybe ever, especially by someone whose music I wasn't familiar with at all. And the whole thing just captivated me from the sounds. I didn't know whether it was folk music or, or pop music or dance music. Or, it had all these elements of everything that I liked. It was a little bit of like a you know Fleetwood Mac, a little bit of a like a singer-songwriter thing. And then like and then there was these other el- like electronic elements. I'm not sure if you know how they were doing that at that time, but they definitely filled up the stage, and uh, it was very early days. And when I had gotten finished seeing the concert, I went to go uh, try to find the things online, like all the music, and uh, it was impossible. There was nothing out yet. And um, I had to pre-order the EP, actually. The Dog Days Are Over was on that, and I believe uh, Kiss With a Fist was on that. And uh, I, th- I think a cover of, of Hospital Beds by the Cold War Kids was on that, too. But I remember absolutely being mystified. And as it goes on, and as her career has gone on, and it's it's only gotten better from there. So I would say that that is the best concert that I've ever seen, Thorns and the Machine at Glastonbury. So we have a couple minutes left. Andy, how are you dealing with the lack of concerts? Because as much as anyone, it also defined your life. You're a, a maniacal concert goer. Yeah, I'm <laughs> in shock. I was so looking forward to seeing Pearl Jam at, at the Apollo Theater. I've been waiting for so many months for that, and that was March 26, which which didn't happen, obviously. Uh, I'm dealing with it, but it's just weird. In the same way Rob does, I mark my life by what concerts are coming up. My calendar was really stacked for this year. There was Roger Waters. There was The Stones. There was so many things that I was counting the seconds down. So it's weird now. I look ahead and it's just these empty calendar months that used to have concerts on them. It's just leaving me full of like despair in, in so many ways. We talked about the idea of a sort of PTSD or people being concerned about safety. 
how is it going to affect live music this this lack thereof is part of are we going to be more grateful for it when we're able to see it is are you know our shows going to be longer are they going to be shorter like how can you imagine that this is going to change things rob i know it's all speculation but i'm curious what your informed speculation might be it's a very good question i mean i realize that show going accounts for such a huge amount of my uh out around people i don't knowness and it's a, it's one of the things that I really, you know, crave about a show. So just the sense of like dislocation, you know, like I, I enjoy seeing the live streams and everything, but it's, it's not at all like being in an audience where you're you know, negotiating this experience with all these human bodies around you. So any sense of how it might change things? I don't know. We're out of practice being an audience the way that, you know, the performers are out of practice performing <laughs> and so we're going to have to learn how to stand in a room and accommodate each other, which is one of the things that we do at a show. Yeah, Andy, what were you going to say? I mean, I think I think the first shows back, I think the first big shows in which you feel safe, which will be God knows when, will be extra euphoric. I keep thinking about seeing Springsteen or seeing U2 or the Stones at a stadium, you know, and I will really appreciate it. It will feel different. I will. Ha- I have never been without it in my adult life. And now to not have it for a long time, I'm going to crave it in much bigger ways. So I think that in late 2021 or in 2022, it, it will be the best concert year ever. <laughs> I like the optimism. <laughs> Brittany, what do you think? Yeah, I think that's like my, on top of the other fears of everything else. But like, I do fear losing that euphoria. Like I think of so much, so many of my best concert memories are of, the strangers that I've met or witnessed and kind of seen their joy being infectious and kind of sharing that moment with them. And I think of like seeing like one direction at MetLife and like running from the bathroom to my seat and like dancing in no control with a group of strangers. Like it's like stuff like that, that I'm scared of losing. And those moments of like sharing that kind of really beautiful moment with everyone there. I think that's, I'm worried about losing, like having fear kind of override a lot of that and, you know, everything else, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, preventing fear from overriding the uh, the joys of life is, is going to be one of our many missions going forward, I guess. But Brittany Spanos, Andy Green, Rob Sheffield, thanks as always for joining me and uh, I hope everyone out there is staying safe. That's our episode for today. We'll be back next week with a new Rolling Stone music now here on Sirius XM's volume, channel 106. In the meantime, we are a podcast. Download us as a podcast, subscribe to us as a podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Maybe leave us a nice review on iTunes with all your newfound free time. Thanks for listening. Please stay safe. And we will see you, as always, next week. TV shows, books, podcasts, and more. It's what women binge with Melissa Joan Hart and her friend Amanda Lee. We have Lauren Bosworth with us. Yay! Yay! The Hills. So, what is like your number one question from fans? The primary question I still get asked was, "What is it real?" <laughs> In 2024, to me, is a surprising question to get because I feel like everybody has been through the reality TV gauntlet at this point. What women binge wherever you listen. Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but 
Are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring. That's right, going away, gone, as in no longer available. You can still enjoy this show elsewhere, though. Try out Spotify or Amazon Music, or maybe TuneIn is more your style. Whatever app you switch to, be sure to follow so you never miss the next episode. And thanks for listening, wherever you listen.